This call is now being recorded. Hello? Hi, it's Heather. Hi, Heather, it's Jake. Hey, good to talk to you. How you doing? Okay, a little tired. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, how are you? I'm good. You had a full day of teaching, I assume. Hey, you know what? I had a really good day today. Um, it's one of my favorite days. Um, students exhibit projects that they do on Poe and um, some other stories like the yellow wallpaper and these other stories written by women. And mm-hmm. they do the, they exhibit them and they do the coolest stuff and it's fun. People like cool. origin they write original music, one girl makes mm-hmm. a cake, they make art, they write poems and they have to share them. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that was a fun day. Um, Well, thank you so much, Heather Brown, Vice President of NACE, for agreeing to be on Northampton Podcast. Um, What is NACE? So NACE is the Northampton Association for School Employees, and that means it's our union for school employees uh, in the district, and also people sometimes don't know this, that we represent two uh, units in the Smith Vocational District as well. So we span two districts that are um, kind of separate. What are the, when you say um, units, what does that mean? Ah, so um, we don't just represent teachers. A lot of times people call these unions teachers' unions, but this is mm-hmm. all school employees, so anybody who works in the school um, I'll name all the units. So we do definitely have teachers. And then we also represent um, what we call in our district ESPs or paraprofessionals who help out in all areas of the school. Um, we represent the clerical employees, the custodians, the cafeteria workers. Uh, let's see, did I forget anybody? So that's six units in, in Northampton. And then, okay. oh, administrators, sorry, I forgot about the, we, we represent some of the assistant uh, administrators, like, like assistant uh, principals, uh-huh, but, assistant not prin- principals. but not principals. No, those are, those are considered management positions. Mm-hmm. So there are some assistant principals and other types of um, assistant administrators that we represent. And then mm-hmm. at Smith Oak, we represent teachers and also, uh, in, some of the administrators there in the same type, the assistant ones. Okay, so when you say two units, you're sort of saying also that there are other employees at Smith Oak that you do not represent. That's right. So they do also have, you know, cafeteria staff and they have clerical Mm -hmm. and they have ESPs, but those folks haven't um, contacted us about organizing or about doing you know, any kind of association, but we are open to it and we would definitely welcome them if they wanted to. And so that's for, so we talked about Smith Oak and then it's Northampton High School, JFK Middle School, and the four elementary schools, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. And um, how long have you been uh, vice president? Uh, this is my second year of my term, which is a two-year term. Okay. So, yeah, so I have been involved in, in this union though for a long time, and even before it became NACE, um, it did have separate units, so it used to be uh, Northampton uh, Teachers Association that I was part of, and then mm-hmm. we decided, I don't know how many years ago, um, to join with the rest of the employees of the, of, you know, the school system. 
so that we mm-hmm. become one larger voice and we can help each other negotiate. Um, so I've been a representative in this union since about the year 2000. Okay, yeah. And uh, you're uh, and you teach at Northampton High School. Mm-hmm. I teach English and mostly tenth graders and uh, some ninth grade courses occasionally. I have a creative writing class, uh, science and literature class, and I guess that's it. And, and uh, American Lit is the tenth grade. And how long have you been a teacher here? Uh, this is my twenty-first year, not counting my one year of student teaching in Springfield. So really, mm-hmm. yeah. So you you know the Northampton schools pretty well, then I would I guess. Do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and also, as you know, my daughter has is uh, traveling through the school system now, so she's in sixth grade. So we're just experiencing JFK as a, as a parent as well as a you know a, a person who works in the district and represents uh, members there. You said you're, you're, this is your second year of your two-year term, so then you will uh, hand the vice presidency over to someone else. Is that just sort of how it works? You sort of go, um, sort of rotate in and out? Um, it, it traditionally hasn't worked like that. We, people either kind of, oh, I can run again. I don't think there's a term limit. Okay. And I haven't decided, you know, I haven't decided what I'm going to do, but Typically, you know, you're just kind of figuring it out and getting your feet wet, and so people tend to stay in their positions a while, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if there's some sort of shake-up and people leave or whatever, we might have new members running, or uh, so I don't really know, but no, we don't, we don't often kind of switch it up, but usually it, it seems like people stay in their positions for a while, and, um, you know, either... They might leave the district or retire or get voted out. Mm-hmm. Those are the ways it would change. So I don't really know what's going to happen next year. So when I think of a uh, union, I think of contracts. Mm-hmm. Is, that the, is, is that sort of the main thing that you are preoccupied with? Um, well, it is the purpose, really, is to defend the contract and make sure that uh, the management of the school system follows the contract and the employees follow the contract too. So we try to help, you know, that's our main job is to try to help everybody work together to support students and, you know, the way to do that is to make sure that workers are happy and management's happy and everything kind of functions the way that it's supposed to according to the contract. How, what's the term of the contract? Is it a few years or... Yeah, typically, um, I don't know why this is. I've, I've never thought to ask, but typically uh, school departments and education systems work with three-year contracts. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been times, uh, and I have seen districts that do a longer one. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we end up with a shorter one because negotiating them takes so long that you run through a period where the contract has expired and um, a new one hasn't been agreed upon. So sometimes mm-hmm. people take uh, lesser than a three-year, maybe they'll settle for a two or a one, mm-hmm. which is hard because then you have to get back at figuring it out right away. <laughs> yeah. so, so currently we, we just started uh, on our new three-year contract, and that's the part probably you and other people have heard about was the negotiation process you know, that happened last year as our contract was expiring. When did the... When did the previous contract expire? That was a three-year contract also. So it was set to expire at the end of the school year or the 
Um, I think it runs at the end of the fiscal year, um, usually. So June 30th, 2019 was the end of our last three-year contract. Uh-huh. So we were working pretty hard earlier on in the spring to um, try to settle a new contract before that one expires. Mm-hmm. That's hard to do. Uh, we'll for that next time. So since you mentioned it, I want to talk about it anyway. But, you know, if, you know I'm a parent uh, in the school system, and I heard a lot about the um, the difficulty in 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 and you know the I heard I heard a lot about the space between the two sides, but I heard almost nothing about the contract um, those about that space narrowing, almost nothing about the contract actually becoming approved uh, by both sides. Getting resolved. Okay. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. I guess. Um, so I I think. The reason for that would be, um, you know, in order to get the city to kind of move in the direction that the union uh, was hoping for, we needed community support. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we, we sought out the community early on to, you know, educate the community and the let parents they do and, and just other people who may not even be part of um the school district or our, our community members let them know what was going on um, so they could either turn out and support or talk to people that they knew, uh, maybe, you know, the mayor, city counselors. So there's a really complicated budget process. Mm-hmm. Um, but <clears throat> people were learning about that because um, we we have been, even, even people who work in the district didn't realize that over um, the past several contracts, I mean, a lot of people were aware that we weren't getting raises that were even fitting the cost of living or the increases in health care, you know, mm-hmm. that we pay for. Um, you know, people knew it, but they, they didn't really realize uh, when, when you start to collect data to present um, in defense of, of what you're hoping to achieve in a contract, you really can see, like, we started collecting data around the state and we found out amongst ourselves we were 19th from the bottom, you know, of, of all of the districts in the whole state. Uh, in, about, in like, of, about how, about how many districts are there? Just, uh, I think somewhere around 300. I can't remember if uh-huh. it's a little bit less or more, but, you know, that's pretty seriously low. Is that you pay, know, is that, is that pay, just just the dollar number? Yeah, that was sort of the average teacher salary. So that was a number that Jesse provides and you can look it up and it's public mm-hmm. when they calculate that. It didn't it, it's not that way for every other unit. So um we went around seeking comparable units, I mean um uh comparable pay scales for like clerical workers in schools and custodians in schools and paraprofessionals in schools. And we were finding the same thing that comparable rates were um, much higher, and districts in, in this area had rates that were much higher. They were not comparable, mm-hmm. and for that, we, we you know we were finding that we were getting a larger turnover in our mm-hmm. faculty and staff, and a lot of kind of dissatisfaction um, about that. But really, that was one of the issues that people were upset about. But other mm-hmm. things that people really wanted to let the city know um, that they were hoping for 
was sort of language that more respected their professionalism. Mm-hmm. For example, like um, making it all consistent about whether or not you have to bring in a doctor's note when you, uh, you know, apply for a sick day mm-hmm. for sick days. You know, do they trust that you're actually sick, or is it, mm-hmm. you know, is there a, so? So we were trying to get consistent language so that everybody who worked in the school district had to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in, with that example, teachers were not. It didn't specify in our contract whether we had to bring in a sick note ever, or if if management could ask us to do that. And for other units, they it would be specified that after one sick day, they would have to obtain a note or three sick days, they would have to obtain a note from a mm-hmm. doctor and provide it if asked. And so we thought, well, you know, if you don't ask that of teachers, why do you ask it of any anybody else? That's not fair. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we we actually sought to make language really consistent for all the employees in the district. Mm-hmm. Um regarding that was just one example, but there are lots of other things that were inconsistent. So we're really trying to bring all of our contacts together to make it like, you know, we're all a team here and we're all doing similar work in the district, so we should have similar kinds of language that respects our uh, professionalism. So those were some of the other things, like besides salaries that we were interested in informing people about. And when the public started finding out what our concerns were, they were alarmed and they were surprised and they were supportive. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what happened. The word started to get out, like, oh, wow, I can't believe, you know, people in Northampton get paid so little compared to people in all of these other districts surrounding mm-hmm. us and all these other places in the state when we have such a good education system. Uh, so that was a lot of the talk that you may have heard and other people may have heard. And then the resolution, it kind of, you know, we, we had an impasse and there was mediation and it gets really complicated. Mm-hmm. And then the resolution's not simple because um, there are six different contracts that we negotiated all together. Those are the six so different units? In in the public, in the Northampton public schools. And we didn't at the same time negotiate the Smithville contracts. They were on a different schedule than we are. Okay. Yeah, so those are just the six for the Northampton public schools that you named before. And so... You know, all the details of each contract were slightly different, and Mm -hmm. they needed slightly different things. So to actually kind of hear about all of the total resolutions, it would take a lot for, you know, (laughs) the average layperson to understand. But, you know, generally, um, we were looking for increases that would bring us into a really competitive range, Mm -hmm. which we frankly didn't get. Mm -hmm. We got increases um, that were somewhere around half of what we had asked for. Mm-hmm. And that brought us into a low, lower range than we were hoping because what's going to keep happening is after, you, you know, another contract will fall behind again mm-hmm. in terms of comparable rates of other districts. So we were hoping to kind of keep bringing it up so that we could be really competitive and um, attracting team really good educators. Yeah, you can't catch up by going slower. Right, exactly. So, um, and what had happened in the past couple of uh, contract negotiations, you know, the three years before that and then three years before that was the city was having a lot of budgetary problems and um, 
a lot of times we were told, oh, you know, well, we'll do this, and then next time mm-hmm. we'll get this, and then next time we'll go for that. And then when the three years rolled around, they said, oh, boy, when things spot again, sorry, we can't do that. Mm-hmm. So people just got increasingly frustrated and looking back over the increases that we had gotten over the past decade, they were tiny and not even close to anywhere near what is a calculated cost of living increase. Um, so essentially, you know, people like me who've been in the district a long time, I was losing, I was losing money. I was getting like a decrease mm-hmm. because the cost of living is rising. The cost of my health insurance is being raised. Um, you know, everything costs more, but your salaries are not increasing. There were some years where we got a 0% raise. Mm-hmm. A lot of years. And of course, inflation is, just inflation is like 3%. Never mind, you know, things right, that grow after on what, inflation. Right. It depends on what charts you look at. Like, what is the inflation? What's the cost of living increase average? What's, you know, the health care, um, you know, uh, percentage that you're responsible for? It's all really complicated. And it's mm-hmm. kind of different for all the different types of employees. But overall, you know, most of us are just stagnant or actually losing money in our positions. <laughs> so it didn't feel great. You know, morale starts to be damaged and people start looking for other things that they can do. And a, and a lot of um, what we were finding is that educators were taking second and even third jobs. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, it's not ideal for the for the students. For people yeah. not be giving 100%. I mean, even when I give 100%, I never finish this work that mm-hmm. I do. And so I can't, I mean, the, the the position I have in the union is sort of like a part-time job. I, I spend lots of hours a week doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I think because of my experience in teaching, I, I can figure out how to manage that. But it's really hard to be a, a great educator and to... Um, you know, not be able to spend the hundred percent of the time that you need to be spending on that, um, because you have to go to a different job to make more money. And it's so, kind of compromised and bad for for you and your family and your students and all that. So, um, and that's happening still. There's so many educators in our district that have more than one job. So we're trying to you know help with that and make sure that they can commit themselves and and really feel connected and want to stay. It sounds like um it sounds like the story that you're telling is is sort of um it's like um well it's time for to do the new contract so let's look and see where the wages are compared to and then you know you say whoa you know how did we get here? And then you look back and say oh well we've um we we went without raises this year and we went without cost of living this year and looking back and saying, um, uh, I can't believe that we ended up in this place. We need to be, um, like the stakes have just gotten higher. Is that right? Yeah, that, that is essentially what happened is that over time, mm-hmm. you know, this aggregate of, of deficit happened and, and finally people were saying, you know, in their collective memory, like, wait, wait, we can't do this again. We can't have them promise, oh, next time and next time and next time. So, um, you know, we decided we needed to really dig deep and find the information and collect the data and inform people and inform ourselves about how to prevent it from happening. 
because it does it does affect you know the way the schools run, and it affects the ability to retain um, and attract good educators. And we're seeing that we're seeing some turnover, and we don't we don't want that. We want you know to really keep our um, educator community tight and well functioning. The do you have do you have accountants and lawyers and number crunchers that that do all this nitty gritty work or is it um, uh that's yeah. a great question <laughs> because you know i teach literature so that's definitely not my forte all that stuff mm-hmm. um and that's where our larger um connection to a bigger union comes in um Educators unions usually have, um, I think in every state they do this, they have a, a statewide union that they affiliate with. And then mm-hmm. there's also an, a national union they affiliate with. Mm-hmm. And so we're affiliated with the Massachusetts Teachers Association. Mm-hmm. Um, and then nationally we're affiliated with the National Educators Association. And mm-hmm. so we collect dues from our members and we pay actually a significant amount of money out to those two organizations, and they help us do those things that you just asked about. Mm-hmm. Um, really, a, a small amount of the dues we collect from our members go to maintain our local organization. Mm-hmm. We just have, like, small expenses that we spend in Northampton, but um, the MTA, the Massachusetts Teachers Association, supports us tremendously. Um, mm-hmm. They have uh, field reps, they call them, who support us on a daily basis with little um, contract problems that we might be having. And mm-hmm. uh, they do have in-house lawyers that we have access to. They have number crunchers. They have organizers. Um, so that's where a lot of our money is spent is in that um, in that organization, the Massachusetts Teachers Association. And then um, we have a delegation that we send to the annual conference, and we get to set the the rules and and the regulations of that organization. So we're kind of part of this big, it's actually the biggest union in Massachusetts that has 116,000 plus members. Mm -hmm. So you have some expertise uh, to lean on. Yeah, tons of expertise. Uh, And they must be helping people renegotiate their contracts all the time if every school district is on a slightly different schedule and Right, so it's a it's a huge organization, and they do tons of great work um, for education. Um, and it's also uh, kind of connected to other unions. So, you know, we we connect nationally. We reach out to people across state lines. We talk to people who have similar situations to us in other states. Um, and that's where you know you've been seeing across the country teachers unions who are going on strike, and that was something we didn't strive for. You know, nobody really mm-hmm. wants to get to that point. Um, but you see this kind of national uprising and organizing in amongst educators because basically they're desperate. Mm-hmm. And um, so we talk to each other and we help each other organize to benefit the, you know, the school districts and the students that we work with. Um, so who... When you're negotiating a contract, who are you negotiating with? Is it the superintendent's office? Uh, no, the superintendent um, is usually present, but the school committee has members on it that uh, are on a subcommittee that is uh, the bargaining 
committee. Mm-hmm. So we are bargaining with the school committee, mm-hmm. who over you know who oversees what happens in the school district. Mm-hmm. And so um, we work with them all the time on all kinds of things, uh, and they really work hard to support <laughs> education, uh, and and they're really thoughtful about what you know, to look for and talk about and focus on all of the time. And so we work together on a lot of things. And then in in that, you know, way, it feels like when we negotiate a contract, it feels like we're working, I don't know, it's, it's a little bit more contentious, and I wish it, it yeah. didn't have to be like that. And so we're going to mm-hmm. strive um, in our next uh, negotiation to really, you know, try to work together because really we're all working for the same thing. Yeah, the students, the best, uh, yeah, what's best for the support students. public education. Uh, was, was class size, did that come up at all? Or, uh, having, uh, more total teachers or more, um, support staff for kids with IEPs and, um, you know, special yeah, needs? That's interesting. Yeah, we, we, um, we know and we have known for a few years that our district is, um, it's, it, the population is changing and so mm-hmm. the number of students who have lots of needs uh, is growing, and we've been all of us, the superintendent's office, the school committee, we've all been paying attention and working really hard to try to figure out how um, to best serve all the students. Mm-hmm. And that's you know something educators are always working on. Mm-hmm. And so it does um, it does definitely come into the discussion in terms of negotiations because it's it's about number of staff that you can afford mm-hmm. and you know there's there's money attached to all of that. Yeah. So um class size particularly wasn't a huge issue this negotiation. I've had other years where um I remember one year it was sort of maybe in the early two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um we our class sizes were so huge; they were up in the high twenties and low thirties. And mm-hmm. I personally had students who were sitting on like the sill of mm-hmm. the room because there was no desk. And there, I remember mm-hmm. there were pictures in the Gazette of that, and that was a really big issue that year. Like, what are what are we doing? We need to get these class sizes down. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't really like that this time, but definitely in the way that you talked about it in terms of needing more support staff for um, students who have special needs or also looking at programs, uh, technology programs. You know, we need uh, people who are trained in, in all these new technologies. We need uh, ESPs. We call them to help out in classrooms mm-hmm. when there's an extra hand needed. So, um you know, all that costs more money. And yeah. we definitely are trying to voice that we need all this support for our growing community and for the growing needs of the students. Um, so I, I don't know. I know classes, the class sizes are fairly decent here if you compare them to other places in either the state or the country. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't think that everybody is feeling like it's an ideal number either. Yeah, I know at um at Leeds in particular, um, it's very it's kind of odd because some grades have three mm-hmm. uh classes and some have two. And that seems to have a big impact on the class size 
the particular, you know, the... Yeah, so it's it's just the nature of how the population works. Yeah. You know, um, I have family who were teachers in West Hampton, and they had, you know, it's a really small little district, so their school would have one class for each grade. So mm-hmm. some years they would have 12 kids in the class, and some years they would have 27. It would just be a you know, a matter of the population, and they always have a finite amount of money. So they have to figure mm-hmm. out how are we going to, you know, how are we going to work this out. Mm-hmm. And it's really, really tricky. So I definitely appreciate, you know, the work that everybody does um, to serve the students here in Northampton. Because I think, you know, even though when there's that kind of a negotiation and it gets tough, uh we still are really all working hard and, and people with so much care and concern and thoughtfulness, you know, are coming together to work to make our system great. So that's, that's a cool thing that I, I try to keep in my mind even when there are troubles and struggles. Does, uh, um, does the union have a, a hand in professional development? Because I know that, you know, education is, always evolving, you know, what is best practice and what's the the newest techniques and what are the, mm-hmm. the philosophies and Yeah, so we um we do have a professional development committee that has uh all different kinds of educators on it. Mm-hmm. And we work together to try to plan uh you know for the needs of the different types of educators that we have. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we do that. I mean, some districts do it better. Some districts don't include educators at all, and it's a really top-down process. So I would say we're kind of somewhere in the middle. But so is that, we, that... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. We, we get voices from educators uh, about what they're looking for, what they need um, to develop, and then we also you know, look for current trends and administrators are saying, hey, why don't we think about this? And then we come together mm-hmm. and figure out how to manage all of the, the wants and the needs. <laughs> Does that take the form of, like, workshops in the school, like on teacher work days? Or mm-hmm. is it, um, do you send, does the, um, does the district send teachers um, out to go to conferences and that kind of thing? Uh, there's both. The, the actually, mm-hmm. teacher workday is a is a term that is um, pretty particular to our district. So, um, as all these state mandates were coming in uh, about you know testing and recertifying and doing all this uh, extra work, they were mm-hmm. loading us up over the past decade or two. Um, mm-hmm. Teachers were feeling all over the country like they were drowning in data and drowning in in bureaucratic paperwork, mm-hmm. and we were. And so in addition to all the work you're doing to educate kids, you're having to keep track of all this other stuff and do all this paperwork. So um, our union negotiated teacher work days to just manage all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And so actually a teacher work day is a day when we just do the work that needs to get done. Um, okay. Like that, and then professional development is separate from that. Mm-hmm. I see. And so some of the half days are professional development days, some of them are mm-hmm. teacher work days, some of them. So it's it's kind of complicated. But that was to me that felt like a big 
uh, contract win for educators in mm-hmm. Northampton that we got a day to just actually get all that work done. Mm-hmm. That was just you know, loading and loading on us uh, over the years. So when I first started, we had probably more than half, um, I'm sorry, less than half of that that constant barrage of paperwork to fill out. And now mm-hmm. we're just, I mean, I spend hours a week filling out forms and documents and accounting for things and giving data to people. And part of that is um, is because of the testing requirements? I would say, yeah, a lot of that. And then there's uh, been new mandates and new laws uh, in the state that we have to comply with and all kinds of things. But um, but that's actually separate from professional development, so yeah. I don't know if I really answered that well. But we do um, have workshops in our district that we attend during those days, and then there is a fairly small pot of money. I don't I don't think it's um I think that is something we can work on in the district is how to access um more out of district professional development. Yeah. To send teachers to really cool stuff. Um so I belong to the National Council of Teachers of English, which is a giant national organization. Mm-hmm. And their um conferences are all around the country and I applied to go to uh, a conference when it was being held in Atlanta, and some local educators were presenting there. Mm-hmm. And um, I could only access about not even half the money I needed to attend that uh-huh. conference and get there. But mm-hmm. I was really interested in doing it, so I just spent my own money on it. Yeah. Well. And that happens a lot, as you know. Yeah, you know, it's I, so I would just say that um, you know, my mom was a, uh, a math teacher, public teach, public school teacher, union rep, um, oh, before I, I was that. born. Yeah, mm-hmm. in, um, in, um, Connecticut. Um, she stopped teaching before I was born, but, um, and, uh, my wife, of course, is a teacher. She's a private school teacher. My mother-in-law is a teacher. My father-in-law is a teacher. Um, and of course, tons of our friends are teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I don't know if most people, your average person, understands how much uh, education is constantly changing. There's constantly research, new research, the better, the best way to do this, um, the best way to teach um, every subject. I think people think, you know, oh, math, you know, they settled that in the, you know, 1800s. You know? <laughs> right. No, uh, it's constantly changing and I, I see it as waves, you know, it goes, mm-hmm. it, it, it goes up and it goes down and then sometimes it comes back, so I don't know what kind of shape that is. I haven't studied geometry or that <laughs> wave patterns in a long time, but, um, you know, sometimes it circles back to the thing that you used to do 20 years ago. Sometimes mm-hmm. it veers off in this, uh, you know, other direction. So yeah, there's always training that we need to be doing, and we do have to keep our licenses current, so there's a lot mm-hmm. of work that needs to be done to um, to manage that. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's fair and it's helpful, and, and a lot of professions have it, but we're also required to have master's degrees, mm-hmm. which are expensive, and mm-hmm. the profession really doesn't um, pay to, you know, support people obtaining a master's degree working full-time, paying for, yeah. you know, all the costs of having a family and all that. 
And mm-hmm. um, it, it seems insane to me that you can spend all of those years in school and college and grad school and racking up all that debt. And then, you know, the average national teacher salary doesn't support anywhere near the cost of all that stuff. Yeah, it's it's uh one thing that just the the just to go back to the professional development for a second. But that seems to be one thing that's very different in my limited ignorant scope between private school and public school is that private schools seem to really want the teachers to do professional development. Um, you know, I think that they like touting on their besides the the benefit mm-hmm. of the students, I think they like saying on their um on their websites, on their teacher profiles, you know, did this and did that. And, mm-hmm. um, and so it seems like a shame that, um, that we're denying our, our teachers that those opportunities to stay current and, and become, stay sharp and, um, mm-hmm. and learn new skills and become better. Since you already are paying them to teach, you know, it's just a, in the scheme of things, like a smaller amount to, um, keep them teaching as, as well as they could be. Mm-hmm. I know that in an ideal situation, they would love to be providing more of that for us. Yeah. Um, and and in this city, particularly in our school district, um, I feel like when I look around at my colleagues and see all the stuff that they do, it's mm-hmm. it's unbelievable how much that we as professionals do on our own um, towards that and without support mm-hmm. from the district. I mean, they. You know, our our funding is limited by Proposition Two and a Half, and by local taxes, and by the state formula, which was just changed so that'll get us a little bit more money, and by charter school funding, you know, siphoning mm-hmm. off money. Um, so I get all that, but there's just a limited, finite pot that they would definitely love to be um, giving us more. I know, and that mm-hmm. will be something that we we're really going to look at. I think in the next. Um, round of uh, contract negotiations because as you say we have to stay competitive with with private schools Um, you know there are lots of them around here and also try to make sure that we you know we have a healthy student body that will um, you know be kind of raising the um, the reputation of the school district and then, you know, the, it, it's all connected the way that the, the housing market works and, you know, people look for good schools and then they want to see what are the teachers doing, what are the students doing, are they putting on these great performances. And so we were able to give a lot, but a lot of that falls on the educators' back to do the things that they need to do on their own in a lot of those situations. You know, I am. Um, so I know. I, I know your wife has that great opportunity. <laughs> She's traveled around and been supported uh-huh. to do all those cool things. Yeah. And in our public schools, you know, we do have a lot of professionals. I know a, a JFK teacher was, um, you know, had this uh, a trip to Africa last year and had her students connecting with uh, a school over there. And mm-hmm. you know, we have all kinds of cool stuff going on. But a lot of it is because of the work of. Um, you know, the Northampton Education Foundation really supports us in a lot of that work, too, I have mm-hmm. to say. Um, it's something that we're really lucky to have here. I, You know, I feel like one thing that frustrates me, and obviously I'm not a teacher, but one thing that frustrates me is uh, I feel like because everybody went to school, <laughs> every, everyone feels like they have a really, like, 
like strong, um, like well-founded opinion about education. Yeah, and well, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. You know, they have their own experience of it, and they have ideas to offer. Um, yeah, but it is definitely an art. Mm-hmm. You know, teaching, educating people is an art, and it really has to be practiced and honed and maintained. And you know, I I think. Uh, I'm glad you said that. I mean, you know a lot about education. Clearly, you have all those educators in your family, which I have a similar thing. I don't know if it's like uh, something happens, for the bug it gets you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it, it, and I particularly, you know, I teach English, so mm-hmm. people are like, "Yeah, I speak English. I know how to do that." <laughs> <laughs> but then. You know, on days when you get a substitute and they're, you know, they have experience and, and a lot of them have great skills and they leave you a note and they say, wow, I don't know how you do this all these days. <laughs> um, it was tough. And, um, you know, you come back and the kids are like, oh, God, we missed you. <laughs> because, you know, it, it, it is really, it's, it's not as easy as one would think. But people do, you know, I don't mind when people give feedback. I really do like to talk. Uh, mm-hmm. to parents about what they think would help their, their child. Mm-hmm. That's helpful. But there, there's so many more factors you have to consider and you really, it, it does frustrate me when people are like, yeah, well, school is this and here's what should happen. Okay, yeah, I think I was thinking more. It, it seems like, cause, cause parents do, they're, they're experts with their kids, you know, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I was thinking more in terms of, uh, it feels like, um, in Boston and in DC, um, there's just so much top-down, um, directing of what, how teachers are supposed to, you know, what they're supposed to teach. And I don't know if, if Massachusetts is particularly, um, uh, good about that or particularly, um, top-down about that. Um, you have to read about certain States uh, where they're, you know, telling the science teachers exactly what they can teach and what they can't teach, mm-hmm. and what words they can use and what words they can't use, and um, mm-hmm. it definitely feels like um, politicians who are not education experts are often um, dictating to educators how they're supposed to be doing their jobs. I think it used to be more so of of that in Massachusetts than it is now. I think teachers oh, have really been growing their voice over the past mm-hmm. several decades. Um, mm-hmm. And so we've been working really hard to um, make sure that we do have a voice. But, yeah, we're competing mm-hmm. with a lot of that pressure um, from all over the place. So, yeah, you're right that people like to make policies that affect education and they don't really know how that is going to impact, um, you know, the educators and the students and, and what's going on. So, yeah, one of the things that really frustrates me is that, um, I can't remember what year it was, but they put um, a referendum on the ballot about teaching students who are English language learners. And mm-hmm. they let the public decide how that's supposed to work. And we're still operating under that law. So people who have no idea about education got to check a little circle on the voting ballot that said how they want us to educate students who don't have English as their first language. What was the uh, what was the standards that the what did the what did the um, proposition lay out? It, it's really complicated. Okay, <laughs> and, sure. and so I 
I, I don't even think we would have time to talk about it. Yeah, but, okay. um, it, That's it, even it, worse. And, it's even worse that it's complicated because, you right, know. Right, because the question was kind of simplified and boiled down into like yeah. a one-page summary, and then the implications of that have been huge and long-lasting. And mm-hmm. also, set, they set up a system that wasn't ideal for educators or for those students. And they, they walked it back a little and made some amendments to it, but, I mean, mm-hmm. that's an example of what happened. So that's one, to me, that was a negative example. You know, the yeah. idea is that they wanted to make sure that we were offering and, and educating students uh, who needed to learn English first and then also learn all the other stuff that we're teaching mm-hmm. everybody. So, you know, it seemed like a an idea that was, you know, coming from the right place, but mm-hmm. to ask the general public to take a vote on that, to me, was just like, I can't believe that that's happening. And then it happened. Yeah. And then it passed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and I talked to a lot of people around the state who are not educators who wouldn't listen to me. And they would mm-hmm. say, oh, this is just my opinion. I'm going to write down what I think on that. And, and then it, it passed. So people who had no idea about education got to say their opinion about it, and it directed policy um, that we're still following. I mean, that's exactly the kind of thing I was talking about, because, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, uh, every public school teacher has an advanced degree, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. You have to have a master's, right? So, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's equivalent to, you know, lawyers, accountants, doctors, Mm -hmm. Uh, and you would, you would never tell, um, you know, a doctor how to do a particular procedure or what medicine they should prescribe or not prescribe. Well, or... actually, you know, insurance companies do get to do that these days. They're suffering from that same kind of problem that we are, I think. <laughs> Fair point. Is, uh, it's really scary. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, so there's the lack of respect, uh, for educators. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I really feel like we talked about this a lot in our last uh, negotiation was that a lot of us feel like that comes from sexism. You know, it was a primarily mm-hmm. uh, female-dominated profession for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm not sure of the numbers if it still is, but I, I feel like that has made it, um, you know, fall into this place that it, it, it just doesn't make any sense. Like yeah. you're saying, we have these advanced degrees, and um, if you look at some of the managers of these systems, they're, they're not females, and um, it's, there's, there's something to be said for studying that and figuring out how to fix it. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean... That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there are other, the other sort of professions that I, that I mentioned you think of as, um, I think people tend to be intimidated by those people mm. and not intimidated by teachers. And why is that? Um, not that they should be intimidated, but, you know, uh, I think it's, um, why are people so comfortable telling teachers what to do? Yeah, there's a, definitely a different um, relationship and affect and, um, respect for teachers in other countries, and mm-hmm. I've seen that myself, and it's kind of fascinating. 
mm-hmm. <laughs> but it, it's gone the way that it has in this country. And we do have unbelievable programs and educators and, and uh, you know, all kinds of cool things going on. So I don't want to say that there's you know, not a lot of positives, but yeah. when when you look at the way that it's been fostered in other countries, it's like, wow, that's really how it should be. One of the things that I really appreciate about our I, – I grew up in the suburbs, like suburry suburbs, like the king suburb of all suburbs, basically. Um, and, uh, you know, our, I, I always went to – I went to public school until I went to college. And um, our the teachers did not live in our town. Uh, and one thing that I really ap- appreciate is that, you know, my children's teachers – are also my neighbors and my friends. Some of them. Um, and it really yeah, feels was... like like we are all in this together rather mm-hmm. than um, that there's some sort of separation, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. And that was part of um, our thinking in our last negotiation, too, is that we're starting to lose that because people are not being able to afford to live mm-hmm. here and teach here. And we want to really keep that. There's something special about it, and you know that's part of why I'm living here and doing this because I I feel that community mm-hmm. is really important, and um, I wouldn't want to do it any other way. You know, people ask me sometimes, "Isn't it so weird when you're walking around and everyone you know <laughs> is a student or a student's parent or a former <laughs> student?" Or you know, now I actually have students with uh, children. Mm-hmm. You know, former students who have uh, kids who are in the high school, which is really freaky to me. But, um, <laughs> they, you know, it's just like, doesn't that feel weird that everybody knows everybody? And, every, you know, and I'm like, no, it feels good. I like that <laughs> element of it. It's, it's like we're all connected. And so um, we want to keep it that way. I, I like that element, and I, I'm glad you noticed and appreciate it, but... We do are, are seeing a lot of increasing numbers of educators in Northampton who can't afford to live here. Our union yeah. president um, lives in Holyoke. You know, in two books, mm-hmm. she's a real big community supporter, but she can't. She, she's a young mm-hmm. teacher, and she's just like, no way. I'd never be able to afford to buy a house in Northampton mm-hmm. on my salary. True. Yeah. I mean, we can, so we got, moved to Northampton because of we moved to Northampton because of the schools. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, many so people tell me that. Yeah. I think pretty much every day I hear somebody say that, mm-hmm. and it makes me feel good and proud, and also conflicted about them. You know, why aren't why aren't we paying our educators more money? Because that's it's the heart of the community, really. Yeah, I agree. That's how I feel. When the when the um, when the negotiations seemed like they weren't going well, and you were learning all this about the where our teacher pay ranked, and um, you know, I have a, a real and I know a lot of people are in the same boat as me. If people have talked to this real dread over the idea that our our um, that the quality of our schools could go down, or what what makes them special could sort of slowly um, dissipate or float away. Um, it seems I don't. I, I hope that the people who um, live in Northampton and don't have kids in the school system understand how important the schools are 
to making Northampton what it is. I would say that they're like the heart of Northampton. Yeah, I mean, that discussion comes up a lot of the times when we're talking about budgets and and negotiating and, and you know, possible overrides. And um, it's it's been a problem in lots of places where if you have an older population who doesn't have children, they feel disconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't want, you know, or they can't afford to, you know, support an override or pay more taxes or whatever it is that's mm-hmm. needed. But um, you're right. I mean, if, if they don't do that, it tends, if you look in other places um, where education started to falter, the community falters. Uh, crime mm-hmm. goes up. You know, housing prices start to drop. It's really, it mm-hmm. does affect everybody in the community and that's an important piece that I think we need to keep talking about and um, you know keep our eye on all that I know we have this new influx of of money in Northampton from marijuana sales and that's tricky <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it is you know right now it's benefiting our our income as a city and I'm hoping that education benefits from that as well, but also we need to be thinking about spending some of that money on uh, mitigation, which I know mm-hmm. some of us earmarked for, but, you know, it's it, it's all pretty complex, but it's definitely all about community. What would you want, um, what's something that you don't, what's something that you would want the average person to know about the union or about um, the budget or about teachers that you think um, just people just don't don't consider or aren't aware of. Hmm. I don't know. I'm so in it. I don't. I. It's hard for me sometimes to think about what people don't know. Well, well, like um, we mentioned charter schools before. I don't think people understand the way um, the way charter schools work, or I think a lot of people sort of view it just as a positive and don't understand uh, how it affects the public schools. Yeah, so that is, I guess that is a big one, but I, we were involved with the MTA in a big campaign a few years ago called the No on Two campaign. That was another public referendum about education. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were able to educate people about what the charter school funding formula is doing to public schools. It's mm-hmm. essentially decimating them kind uh-huh. of poorly, so you can't really tell. Um, and we were trying to tell people this is happening. Um, mm-hmm. and, and also at the same time, though, not to disparage our neighbors or to make them feel bad about, mm-hmm. you know, sending the kids to that, to a school like that. It is, it's tricky, but basically what's happening is the way that the state wrote the charter and the formula to fund it is that we put out more money to the charter school when a, when a student from our district goes to it. Um, mm-hmm. then we might take in from a school choice student. Um, the, the state said it would fund us a certain amount and has defaulted on that promise since the beginning of the, um, invention of the charter. And mm-hmm. so, uh, you know, recently in the past six to eight years, we've been losing it, this is fascinating. We've been losing in Northampton $2 million every single year to students who go out of district to a charter school. Mm-hmm. And it's not that many students. It's around 200 students. 
Wow. Over 200 students that live in Northampton and attend a charter school cost our district $2 million. And if you think about that for a second, um, you know, you mentioned Leeds School before. We're both in the Leeds district. There are probably about, I don't know how many students there, two or 300? Somewhere between two and 300 students at least. Mm-hmm. Their budget is about $2 million. Mm-hmm. Wow. So essentially, like we're funding a whole school of kids that don't, that aren't, you know, being educated in North Africa. So if we kept those kids, Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. They're all from different age levels, so they wouldn't be distributed on one building. Yeah, but yeah. Like we're losing uh-huh. the amount of funding to fund a whole school in the city. So if you're of, saying that if if a student leaves a Northampton public school to go to one of the charter schools, mm-hmm. and even if you were even if you replace that student with a school choice student, so you have the mm-hmm. same number of kids in the school, you're losing money. The schools losing. Yeah, money. because of the way the state. Um, funds the charter school. They pay a certain amount and then they promise to pay us back a certain amount and they've been allowed to default on that for mm-hmm. about a decade. So we're really trying to press that issue. That's the next kind of initiative I think I can see the MTA working on. Uh, the Massachusetts Teachers Association is, is figuring out what to do about that. The fascinating thing school, about the... Oh, sorry, go ahead. They were invented to kind of be like learning centers to be innovation centers and then to take whatever in that small community, whatever was innovated or invented, it was, we were supposed to kind of bring it back to public schools and use it. And it hasn't turned out to be that. It's turned out to kind of create a separate, huge system that's not equitable for all students and so and then the way the state was funding it, it it became even more inequitable and now we're at that place where we're scrambling and losing two million dollars a year you said 200 students since two million dollars is that right mm-hmm. the, the the insane the, the the insane thing about that i mean one of the insane things about that is that if the if the state was even like We'll take those kids and pay private school tuition for them for whatever reason. It would be way less money. Yeah, which is the crazy thing. So, I mean, and I'm just, the numbers are round and they're not exact, yeah. but, yeah, of you course. know, we've been studying it and I have lots of helpers at the NCA who help us to figure out these numbers. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I'm not the best at math, but. <laughs> yeah. We understand that, but this, don't don't hold uh, Heather to these exact numbers. <laughs> exactly, the, and you know I'm kind is, of summarizing the way that it works because it is really yeah. a, it's a complicated formula and all this stuff. But it's it's boiling down to a loss of about two million dollars a year, and mm-hmm. it is basically decimating our school system to the point where we have to make really hard choices that we don't really want to be making. Now, if a so kid that, is, loses, that is a thing that um, a lot of people don't understand and don't know. So that that goes back to your original question about yeah. what you know what you would want people to know. Just um, so if a kid leaves a public school and goes to a private school, um, then the school district loses a certain amount of money because they get a certain amount of money per student, right? But it's not the same because the money isn't then going to 
a charter school. Right, is that right? It's just kind of not, it's not negotiable. It's not a, you can't compare it. Like, we just don't, we don't have to pay someone to educate that student either. Yeah. So, a lot of it, mm-hmm. so it's just, you know, the, the private school um, comparison is really different. We don't have to pay mm-hmm. anything to send that student. You know, it would be great. We'd love to have the student and educate mm-hmm. the student and, and do all that in the community, but it doesn't cost us anything. I, I don't think. I think, I think, I think that's that. something that that is confusing to people is, you know, a charter school just seems like a free private school, but, you know, nothing <laughs> right. is free. Yeah. Right, and and a lot of you know, and I I know that people are making those choices for whatever they're um, looking at the needs of their own child. Yeah. So all the all the talking we're doing about community is the thing that to me is most important. And so you know, even if I did, my, my daughter's really artistic and she loves the arts. And you know, I could think about sending her to the Pioneer Valley, you know, arts charter school, mm-hmm. uh, the performing arts charter school, because that's an interest that it would serve her. But mm-hmm. then it, it takes away funding from my own community school, and I would never think about doing it. So, you know, I'm going to make sure that we try to keep arts as strong as we can in our school district and that her get some of that same kind of experience here. And so... You know, people say, well, you know, the needs of my child are this or that. And um, it's not really keeping in mind the needs of the whole community. So I, I really have trouble with it. And I and I wish people understood how it impacted us um, in such a negative way. Yeah, I think with your, with your own kids, I, I understand people, you know, making the decision that's right for their kids. And yeah, the problem is really, it's less the individual decision that one person is making and more the overall policy and yeah um, that's that's what know. i how i frame it when i talk to people it's not their fault that that, mm-hmm. that the system is set up that way and they're taking advantage of it for their own personal need but if, if the system didn't look like that then we wouldn't even have to, wouldn't have to talk about it it would just be that we all had our kids in community schools and we benefit from them together. Yeah, so let's yeah make sure everyone understands what's going on, and uh, when the the next election happens, let's make sure that our um, our state representatives, especially, understand uh, how we feel about it. Right. Hmm. So that's a job for citizens, but unions, I think, are um, you know they're pretty active in doing that too. So we mm-hmm. we did you know want to make sure that we are active in elections and trying to, mm-hmm. you know, we get some new school committee members who seem really like they're engaged and activated. And we're really looking forward to working with these new folks to, to um, you know, make the North Central schools the best that we can. And the yeah, there, there are a bunch of new people uh, on the... Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, I there think are a bunch Sorry, yeah, sorry. Well, it's a really hopeful thing that we have all these new folks. That, but it, you know, what you said, we're working and voting and paying attention. So, you know, I think that'll help. So, how can people uh, keep up on? Um, how can they stay um, 
aware of what's important. You know, I just, NACE doesn't, they have a lot of, um, they have email newsletters, so they have an Instagram page. Like, how, how, have, can, how can people um, be NACE reached? Has a Facebook page. Uh-huh. I'm not so great with social media, but I think, I don't know if our NACE page is, yeah, I think our NACE page is public. Mm-hmm. So you could go on and use them if you're not a member. Um, mm-hmm. you could, um, you know, become active in your school's school council or the PTO. Uh-huh. Uh, because those are always, you know, ways to connect with the school and then the, and the union itself. Um, mm-hmm. we often, I mean, I, I go to every school committee meeting or if I can't go, I was sick last month, I send a representative and, and mm-hmm. there's usually a handful of people from these. So um, attending school community meetings and finding out what's going on there is helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there will always be most people there so you can talk to them. Or um, We often move these uh, t-shirts so we could be identified and someone can say, oh, yeah, you're in Nice. I wanted to ask you. So that's a way that we try to stay public. Um, mm-hmm. You could watch the uh, school committee meetings on the Northampton Open Media which was formerly uh, Northampton Community Television. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's just a way of staying in touch with the issues. And often news members speak a public comment or, you know, they're asked questions or asked to report on something so you can hear what, what they're saying in the, in the school community. And every school has um, a NACE representative, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, each building. Well, we have bylaws that set up how that works. Mm-hmm. So most of the buildings have um, many NACE representatives, so we call okay. them building delegates. Mm-hmm. And then we also elect officers, and, um, yeah, there are a lot of people um, involved in the union, either at the, you know, organizing level in the building or at the more sort of executive level with people who got elected. So, so could people, can, can people just sort of, you know, talk to their local schools, NACE representatives and? Uh, mostly uh, the NACE representatives are available for each other. And yeah. And they're there to, make, to support each other to make sure the contract is, mm-hmm. um, you know, being fairly, fairly uh, approved and, and, um, but I, you know what, that's interesting. I've never had someone come to the school and ask, like, can I talk to someone from me? <laughs> um, sometimes reporters will call only when there's some sort of situation where they want to find out, you know, about about the union. But I would imagine that if, if uh, a community member really wanted to seek out uh, a discussion or uh, seek out a new member, that it would be easy to go... Um, on the social media, uh, mm-hmm. on Facebook, and ask a question, or to walk into a school oh. and ask someone in the front office, like, how do I talk to someone from NACE? Usually, you know, they're all members of NACE. Oh, yeah. So, so, so they can easily connect you, and, um, you know, in our front office at the high school, uh, one of our building delegates works in the office. And so that's the benefit of having all those units. We're mm-hmm. all together members of NACE. So it's not just specific to everybody. So if you wanna, if you wanna understand what's going on with the schools, keep, um, keep be aware of what's going on in the schools, the school committee, what's going on in your school, 
Um, and then, um, you know, when these issues come up, like the contract in a few years, um, you're gonna, you're gonna know, you're gonna see it in newspaper articles. If there's a, if there's a problem, you're gonna see people holding signs outside of the school like we did earlier this year. Right. Um, oh, you know, I think the new school committee members are interested also in, um, holding a more public forum. Mm-hmm. Because we, we had some last year and it, we felt like it was really successful in community building and, you know, information disseminating. So that's another way to look for uh, the upcoming forums that the school community members will hold. And NACE members will always be present at those. So it would be a great place to have a conversation with people who are involved. That sounds great. Mm. Thank you so much for talking with me, Heather. Heather Brown, Vice President of NACE. (laughs) Oh, thank you so much. I'm really glad that you're so interested and have a lot of information about education yourself. So it's helpful to have that conversation with you. Yeah, it's something I feel like people, it affects people's lives and they don't really understand how it works. Well, thanks for helping clarify. (laughs) I'm Jacob Zikoski. This is Northampton Podcast. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just uh, send your um, magical internet machine to uh, northamptonpodcast.com to find out more. And thanks for listening, Northampton.